This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Monday afternoon. Wow, what a beautiful weekend we had. Hopefully you had a chance to go out and enjoy it. And actually, I think it was on Friday, the forecast was looking like we were going to be in the high 20s, low 30s, right through until Tuesday. But as you've heard, the forecast has changed a bit and it's not going to be quite as hot over the next couple of days, even the possibility of some precipitation. So that's encouraging, especially the late hot nights that uh, definitely keep people up. This is a conversation that I think just lines up so well with talk radio because you listen to us well for information you listen to us so that you can share your opinion you can agree or disagree we know that we've done this long enough that we never always agree on everything but it's that opportunity to have that conversation. And so I want to dig a little bit different, deeper rather, just to see why is it that that we, you know, the old joke, can't we just all get along, that we have our, our strong opinions, some people will call them our strong beliefs, and how neither the twain shall meet sometimes. It's just like, nope, don't care what Ann says, I'm never going to think differently of this. And that's why I've got to bring on my guest, D.B. Krupp. He's an adjunct professor of psychology, Queen's University, joins us today. Hello, D.B. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I enjoyed your column, and you can read more about it on theconversation.com. But when I was reading it, I thought, okay, this is perfect. Maybe we can understand why it is that as a society we have these strong beliefs, and really are they beliefs, and how do we come to these beliefs? So let me, let me just throw out the, the fact that you say morality isn't a compass, it's a calculator. And what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that um, often we think that we get our beliefs from our parents and from the people around us, our um, scripture, our teachings, things like that. And I'm not saying we don't, but uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of our sort of moral thinking, the way we see the world, the way we carve up right and wrong, has to do with what might benefit us, what might benefit our family, um, and maybe a little less so about what we were taught. And so when you say this, the compass versus a calculator, all those things that go through in our life, we add them up, and that's where our, our morality is formed or how it is formed? Yes, sort of. I mean, this isn't a, a conscious thing. Nobody sits around and actually actively is making these kinds of calculations. It's all happening in your head um, in a subconscious kind of way. But, but the basic idea is that when you're given sort of um, a situation in which you might come out on top or you might come out on the bottom, uh, you might choose to take a path in which the, the sort of the moral argument helps you win um, as opposed to lose, you know, when there's some kind of ambiguity. So as an example, you know, the idea of equity versus equality. In equity, we have this idea of the more work I put in and the more effort, whatever it happens to be, the more I should be able to get out. Whereas equality is more about the idea that everybody should get a fairly equal share. Um, and these two are in conflict often, that there's two different moral principles. And depending on whether or not you stand to gain more from one than the other, you might choose to say, oh, you know, the right thing to do is the equitable sort of division of money. Um, and if you stand to gain more from equality, then you might say that the moral thing is the equal division of money. 
It sounds like it all comes down to what's good for me. Almost. <laughs> so uh, there's definitely a component of this that is what's good for me. Um, it also may be what's good for my family. Uh, so I might not benefit directly from something, but maybe my brother or my kids or my parents do, and I want to help them too. And same thing for friends, for that matter. I want to help them out um, because down the line they might help me out in a very kind of similar way. Um, but, of course, there is a flip side to this, which is that we have to, the whole point of a moral discussion or argument is to convince other people that we're right. And the only way we can do that is to actually have a convincing argument, right? right. So um, it comes down to not only whether or not I stand to gain from this, but how persuasive is my moral position in the first place? Do I think I can really convince people? If not, I may have to temper that position a little bit. And then in convincing those people, how important is it that you are surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals or people who have had similar experiences, if I'm trying to understand this, this way of um, arguing? Well, so it it's definitely um, makes your life a lot easier to surround yourself with people who share the same opinions as you do. Yeah. That is until you come into conflict with them, right? And so my argument, and it's not just mine alone, but that column that I wrote, has a lot to do with the fact that maybe a lot of the arguments that people are having about global warming and about um, abortion and divorce rates and teen pregnancy, and even some people believe that the earth is flat. Maybe we're having these arguments to a certain extent because we're sitting on different sides, not of a moral chasm, but a, uh, sort of a separation of who stands to gain and who stands to lose from holding ki certain kinds of opinions. So if you hold an opinion um, that, say, I don't know, that, that uh, you're really unhappy with the world as it is, you're probably more likely to gain from changing the world than your current situation so you might be one of the people who's sort of an underdog in the current situation. You want to see the world change. But if you're doing really well, if you're making millions of dollars and making money hand over fist, maybe you're really happy with the status quo and you want to sort of support the moral legitimacy of the world as it is. Does that make sense? Wow. Okay, I want to go to the abortion idea. So you, you've got to explain sure. to me, because I know just as I say abortion, I'm going to get lots of texters from people who are, are still angry that uh, abortion is legal in this country. So then walk me through the paces as far as how you come to that belief or whatever we want to call it and how it is so different than from someone else and how you change that so that maybe that person is seeing things from your side. Right. So that's a great question. So some of my own work looks at whether or not um, people are more or less willing to, for instance, have an abortion, get divorced, uh, go get um, higher education, um, the age at which they want to have kids. Do they want to have kids younger or do they want to wait a little while? And all of those things are actually predicted by life expectancy. How long you can expect to live tells us but when we should sort of schedule a lot of these kinds of decisions. Again, not consciously. Yeah. But if I know that I live in a place where life is short, uh, life is tough, then if I want kids, I better have them early. Um, and if I live in a world where life is long and my world is safe, maybe instead I'm going to spend more time in school. I'm going to invest in myself a little bit more, wait to have kids a little bit later, and then invest more in those kids because I have more to give them. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of just an argument underneath why people might differ on these kinds of things. Well, if that's the case, if I live in a kind of world where life expectancy is long and I want to delay having kids, but 
let's say I goofed up and I got pregnant when I was young. Well, I might be more inclined to have an abortion than if I lived in a world where life is short. Mm -hmm. So my opinion on what I should do will actually differ on my situation. And as a consequence, I'm going to build a moral sort of viewpoint around that position to defend it to other people. That morality is really about convincing other people that we're doing the right thing. Right. That morality is that I'm doing the right thing and I'm trying to convince others that they should be doing the same thing that I'm doing. Right. Or at least <laughs> letting me do what I want to do. Right. Exactly. Oh, wow. Now back to the whole life expectancy. So then are you looking at, at countries that are doing well that, um, so that they have a longer life expectancy? Or are you looking at families? Because maybe some families are more affluent and they know that their, their family is, has, a, has been around a lot longer. We know economics are tied to overall health. So is it that minute? Or is it a broader base as far as just your life expectancy of a nation? Well, that, that is a fantastic question. So people have looked at this. This is actually an area of study that a lot of different people have approached from a lot of different angles. My own work, I studied the Canadian provinces. So I was looking at that level because that was sort of the finest grain I could really get. Okay. Um, but other people have looked at comparing. So in my studies, I compared um, the different provinces showing that the provinces with the longest life expectancies had the highest divorce rates and the highest abortion rates, but they also had uh, people who got longer, they went, spent more time in school, got higher education, um, and they waited to have kids. Mm-hmm. And the flip side was true in the shorter-lived um, provinces. Other people have compared whole countries, and still other people have looked at neighborhoods. So really, really fine grain. And you're right. Some people even looked within families, comparing sisters, um, sisters who have delayed having kids versus sisters who have had kids in their sort of earlier years, like their teenage years, and looked at the success of their children as a consequence of that. But yeah, people have been looking at all sorts of different levels, wherever we can sort of get our mitts on the data. And you're right. Economics plays a huge part in this, that the more economic inequality and, of course, the more poverty, both of those predict how long people are going to live. Um, But of course, there are other things too. When people walk around their environments, they're experiencing the world. Most people don't hold a statistic in their head of what their life expectancy is, but they do know whether or not they have any surviving grandparents. They do know if they hear gunshots. They do know if they've seen people die of violence or not, right? And so all of those things are the cues that people are using. And me as a scientist, I don't have access to that often, but I have statistics that I can use that sort of you know, are like a peek into people's heads. So in those, let's say, neighborhoods where there is a short, shorter life expectancy, are you saying that then there's probably a, a higher rate of, of teen pregnancy? Or, because then uh, a young girl or boy, they see that they're not going to live very long, so we want to have kids now? Exactly. So to be clear, uh, just to repeat what I've been saying, most of the stuff isn't happening consciously. In fact, none of it's really happening consciously. But people sometimes, if you ask them why they did something, people sometimes do know. Most of the time people say they really are sure, but the evidence suggests they not. In any case, what's interesting is when people have looked at um, teenage girls having, having babies, they show that, in fact, these teenage women can articulate the fact that, well, I'm not going to live very long, and if I get much older than this, I'm not going to be in good shape to raise a baby. So I'm going to have a baby mm. sooner rather than later. 
See, I think that uh, goes back to that. Sorry, DB. Yeah, I uh, uh, didn't mean to interrupt, but this goes back to that no whole problem. moral calculator then to me. Without even knowing it, we're kind of adding up all these experiences, and that is shaping our morality or our quote-unquote beliefs. That's exactly yeah. right. So the idea is that you have a real world is shaping what you can get out of it, and you're built to try and get the most out of it. And so you're looking at the world, again, not consciously, and trying to time the right time to get married and have kids and get the best job and, you know, have the most money and all of these kinds of things. And to do that, you often have to defend the way you're going about your life. And so morality is about, again, trying to convince others that what you're doing is the right thing. Okay, i got to take a break and just let this sink in. Uh, D.B. Krupp is my guest. He is an adjunct professor of psychology, Queen's University, still trying to understand that whole idea of then why someone is more uh, considered a liberal versus a conservative. D.B., back with him, and you can send my your text as you try to understand it as well, 403-974-8255. We're back after this. I am uh, trying to get my head around uh, the whole idea of how our our beliefs are formed and the fact that it's our, um, we used to always hear a moral compass. My guest, D.B. Krupp, is saying, think of it more as a calculator that we are, it's kind of a subconscious calculator. We're tallying personal costs and benefits of any decision. And then that ends up sort of forming how we, our beliefs in things. And then trying to understand how you, Maybe try to have a conversation with someone who doesn't have the same beliefs. Now, DB, you've got to tell me, though, because as I'm trying to understand this, and uh, uh, Gordy texted in, for a man, there's no need to argue if you're married because the wife is always right. So I just wanted to put it out there so we don't even have to worry about figuring out how to husband and wives they see things differently. But, okay, so then let's talk about the uh, our beliefs, especially when it comes to political beliefs or liberal versus conservative. Do you have any way of explaining how ultimately people end up in one camp or the other, it seems? Sure. So, I mean, there are so many things that separate groups of people, and even liberals and conservatives aren't this sort of perfect clusters of of people, right? There are very different kinds of liberals and there are very different kinds of conservatives. The typical conservative in the west of Canada is not like the same as the conservative, say, in Ontario. And both of them are different from, say, a conservative in Texas, right? Um, But we can still actually use sort of predictors in the real world to try and understand. So one, like I said, is life expectancy. We know that life expectancy helps us predict different kinds of cultural differences. Um, But we also know that income inequality helps predict it. Poverty helps predict some of it. Um, There's a whole bunch of these different kinds of variables that we can find in the real world that have really important implications for what people can get out of their lives and when they should do certain Mm. things. Um, And so that tells us, unsurprisingly, that people who live in certain kinds of situations will have certain kinds of viewpoints. So it's not a surprise, then, that we might find that whole groups of people who happen to live near each other also happen to share really similar beliefs. Um, so you might get political orientations like liberal and conservative in different parts of the country because their worlds are, in fact, quite different in important yeah. ways. Now, you also mentioned that just trying to understand our differences, we can understand our differences when we recognize that 
everyone is really the product of independent minds with independent agendas. And I think that's still going back to your idea of the benefits. What's in it for me? What's in it for my family? And uh, so help me try to maybe bridge the difference with someone who I don't see eye to eye with. That's great. And so I think one of the first things you want to do is try to understand where they're coming from. And this, you know, this is something that anybody can tell you, right? You want to sit there and ask, well, why is it that they would have a different opinion than me on this sort of thing? Is it because they really care about that issue in particular? And sometimes they will, like, for instance, people might care really deeply about abortion or the death penalty or something like that, because it matters to them directly. But they may also care about things that are more abstract. So they might care about global warming, um, which is a problem that, of course, if it's, you know, if you think it's real, then you also believe it affects you. But if you don't think it's real, then you don't think mm-hmm. it affects you. And yet people still feel very strongly about it on both sides. But that's because it's not, the debate isn't simply about whether or not the planet is getting warmer. It's whether or not humans are contributing to it. And on top of that, whether or not changing the way humans are contributing to it will have economic effects and other kinds of effects on people. So many people who might be opposed to the idea of global warming and human effects on on the global temperature may be the same people who would be affected by losing uh, some of their livelihoods because now the energy economy has to change dramatically and they might be on the, or they might be scared that they'll be on the losing end of that sort of thing. Where can we go with this thinking when it comes to, uh, I'm going to say immigration, because uh, within the last couple of years, our province has welcomed and some people not so happy with it uh, a number of syrian refugees so how do we see those differences but recognize the differences and still all get along so one of the best ways to get people to understand somebody else's point of view or to accept a new group of people is simply through exposure it's a really reliable thing that if you spend some time with people who have different beliefs, um, who see the world a little bit differently, who just simply come from a different place from you, um, you start to accept them a little bit more easily. It's not a magic pill. It doesn't transform people overnight. But that kind of exposure, it's a really simple concept that you, you know, attend some of the same kinds of events, a welcome event. You go bowling with people who aren't like you. For that matter, you know, for all of the talk people have about the criticism about Facebook and Twitter and all of the sort of what people call bubbles that you have, the more exposure you have to other views on the Internet, the more open-minded you are Mm. about other opinions. So it turns out that Facebook can actually be a good thing so long as you're not unfollowing everybody who disagrees with you. Yeah, you know what? Lots of food for thought here. And uh, one person here says the guest's theory supports the skeptic's practice of following the money on news stories, i.e. who stands to gain and who is funding the research, etc. So, I mean, that's still that idea of what's in it for me? What am I going to gain from it? And that's going to shape my beliefs. Very interesting. DB, thanks for uh, starting the conversation with us. Thank you, Angela. I appreciate it. B.B. Krupp, he's an adjunct professor of psychology, Queen's University in Ontario. And let me just see if I can get in one more here. Um, someone says, awesome caller. I relate with his rationalizing differ, differing opinions. Yeah, and sometimes when you just sit back and think about it, uh, we all have opinions. And of course, we want to hang around with people who share the same opinions. But what happens when you're 
here as a talk show host or at a party where suddenly someone isn't sharing that same opinion. You have to understand where they come from as well. Yeah. Thought that was kind of cool. Uh, let's take a break here. I want to talk about something else after the break, and I need your opinion. 403-974-8255. We've got news coming up next. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.